Welcome to the Company of Believers podcast. We hope you will be blessed and encouraged by this message. Jesus bless you. But he said that, you know, when Jesus puts us back together and, and fixes our broken pieces of the gold, you're more valuable than you were before. I, I don't believe that. I believe I was as valuable the minute I came into this earth as I was ever going to be to him. I think that the blood of Jesus and me surrendering to him actually allows me to see the value that I've always possessed. I don't become more valuable. I actually go back to the original intent, which is valuable. So it's not that that was wrong. I just would have worded it differently. And that is what we've been trying to express to the family here. Brother DJ, for weeks has, has and months, has just been talking about this. And I'm going to continue on with it today because it is what has to be fixed. It is a foundational uh, necessity for us to understand who we are and understand who we are to Him. And until those things are established in truth in our hearts, we will never be what he has purposed us to be. We will never do what he's purposed us to do because we will always waver in doubt and unbelief. Not in God, but in God with us. God for us. And that's not okay, and we're not going to stop talking about it, and it, we're not going to allow people to move us off of this until it is established in the hearts of the family of this house. And in every other house that I'm a part of. It is one of the greatest things God has done in my life in the last probably 10 years. It's a process and, and, and I have surrendered to it. And I can't tell you the joy and freedom that it has brought to my life in the last four or five years. And it's right. And when I think I'm right in God, I will not be moved. Because I want y'all to experience what I'm experiencing. I want you to feel how I feel. I, I, I want the joy and the peace of God to just permeate your very being. And that is his absolute intentions and desire. And the only thing that hinders that is us. It's not the devil. It's not the world. It's just us. Hell can't stop what God wants to do if he has an open vessel. The world can't stop it. They can tie you up in animal skins and throw you to wild dogs and you will worship God as they eat you alive because that's what people have done. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, in John 11, one. <coughs> come on, Jesus. It says right here in verse 1, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. I'm going to stop right here. I just want to give you a couple of definitions to these names that was just mentioned. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Okay, Lazarus' name means God is helper. In the Hebrew, his name means God is helper. Mary means rebellious. Born out of bitterness. Martha's name is of a Chaldean origin and it means mistress. Why you name your daughter mistress, I don't know. Bethany uh, 
most people think that it means house of affliction. So in this first verse, you got some interesting things that are, that are being stated right here when you look at the significance of the names. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus, God is his helper, of the town of Bethany, the house of afflictions, the town of Mary, the rebellious one, and her sister Martha, the mistress. And that reads a little different when you know what those names mean. And it's going to matter in a minute. It says right here that it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And see that, that right there, I, I shared this. I was with Brother Jay's church in Montgomery Sunday, and I shared this with him, and it's something that God showed me a while back and I've shared it a couple times down through the years but it's something that's come back on me in the I actually I think Elizabeth is here and we talked about it in in Mexico and I had not thought about it in a long time and that's so why I couldn't remember it and get it straight but since then it's been something that's been swirling around in me and I have brought it back up to because it's a, a necessary thing and this is about the time God started dealing with me on who I was to him <clears throat> and I, I, I was when mom and dad lived in Wetumpka. I remember the day that God opened this up to me and began to give me revelation of this that I'd never seen or heard before. And I'm sure somebody has because there's nothing new under the sun. But it was new to me. And it was in that time when God was really beginning to deal on how I saw myself in his eyes. It was I was in the beginning steps of that. And this is one of the first things he gave me to, to begin to give me understanding. So when you read verse 2, it's very revealing. It was Mary, that Mary, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Verse 3, I'm sorry, is revealing. It says, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And, and right here you see something that these sisters feel about themselves in the eyes of Jesus. Verse 2, Mary is recognized as the woman who washed the feet of Jesus with her hair. I mean, come on. For eternity, that's going to be talked about. I'm pretty sure she's special to Jesus. But when she found herself in this situation and her brother was, was sick and was dying, she and her sister Martha did not have the courage to send a message to Jesus saying, we, we need you. I need you. My brother is sick and dying. And I need you to come help me so I'm not all alone without a man in our life to defend and protect us, even if he is a brother. She did not believe that she and Martha, that they were valued enough in the eyes of Jesus to have the, the right to ask for themselves for Jesus to come and help them. She says, the one whom you love is sick. They actually, I believe they actually felt like Jesus loved Lazarus because God is his helper more than he loved them. And so when they approached Jesus for help, 
they used a thing called guile. Uh, I, I don't know, we were, we were joking around yesterday, but, you know, the word guile, when you find it in the Bible, uh, in, when you find Jesus, there, there was Nathan, so I think it was Nathan, right, sitting under the tree? Yeah, we'll just say it was Nathan. Nathaniel, thank you, somebody would help me. Uh, I don't remember, I didn't think about that. But he was sitting under the tree, pondering life, and he goes to see Jesus, and Jesus begins to speak to him, and he says, here comes the Israelite in whom there is no guile. He had never seen him before. And, and the guy didn't even check up. He says, how do you know me? Man, you know. And, and that word guile right there means you don't say one thing when you meet another. You know, guile is like when somebody's eating chicken or a brownie, and you go, man, that sure does look good, because what you really are saying is, can I have some? <laughs> See, that's called guile. That is a biblical definition of guile. I sure do like that. <laughs> when you're really saying is, can I have it? And so when they send this message to Jesus, what they're saying is, we need you, but we can't ask for you to help us because we don't matter enough. But our brother's pretty special to you. And we're really scared of being alone. And we just don't think you'll respond to us. So we're going to ask on his behalf. See the, the, the problem that is going on right there in, inside of these women? That, that, is, that, is, that is messing up. <laughs> What's the right way to say that? It is actually uh, hindering. They're coming to Jesus with full confidence. I talked about this with the men yesterday out of Hezekiah. The same thing, just different verses. Because it is a constant theme throughout the whole Word of God. And when you don't view yourself properly, and you don't view yourself properly through the eyes of Jesus, it will always hinder how you come to Him. You will never come to Him right. You will never come to Him with confidence that you are valuable, and that He loves you, and that your name actually is Hesabah, and He delights in you. And see, if you don't actually get to the place where you begin to believe that you are his favorite and you are precious to him, regardless of the mess you're standing in right now, how do you have the courage to actually come to him? When Jesus came to me the night I got born again in Birmingham, the thing that conquered me is how can you come to me with love when you know everything about me and I am horrible? It was not a fear of going to hell. It was, how can you love me like that when you know everything about me? And that just, I couldn't resist that any longer. And he was actually revealing to me how he sees me. And that is through the eyes of love. And not just like love, like I love you, buddy. Like love, like I want you and I am burning for desire for you. That's how he's looking at you right now. In sin, in the way of righteousness, he's looking at you with a burning desire in his heart. And the only thing he wants is to conquer you. And see, until you believe that, you will never walk in full confidence with him. You will never come close enough to him to receive every good thing he has for you. Because you're always going to hold yourself at arm's length. And, 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 and in reality, you won't blame yourself. You'll blame him. 
like Pastor DJ was saying, you'll actually put the blame on him because he's just a mean judge. And he knows that I've messed up, so I can't come close. When in reality, you refuse to accept the truth that you are his delight. <clears throat> it says right here in verse 4, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. See, that's Jesus' opinion of all of them. He loved them all. He didn't love Lazarus and like Martha and Mary. He loved them all. To them, they were the same in his eyes. Every one of you sitting in this room today are the same in his eyes. He loves you all. Some of you won't surrender to his love, and you detain the hand of the Lord in your life, and you rob yourself of the blessings and the desire that he has in his heart to pour out goodness over you because you won't surrender to his love and come to him. It's not that he loves you less. You just won't surrender to every blessing of love that he wants to give to you. But he loves you all the same. And you can sit there where you're sitting right now and tell yourself, yeah, but. But that is, that is a lie from hell, the yeah, but. The truth is, he loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He loved the mistress, he loved the rebellious one, and he loved the one whose God was his helper. Do you understand that? He loved them all. We have to stop with the lie that he has favorites in the house of God and in the, in, in, in the world. He doesn't. All right. So when he heard, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. This is where things begin to get interesting, and this is where God really began to speak to me. It said that he stayed for two more days. And then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And y'all heard that awesome stuff Brother DJ taught us about light. That was amazing. These things he said, and after he said that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Y'all are slow. <laughs> so when he stayed for two more days, he intentionally let that man die. You understand it? He let him die. 
And, you know, I've preached these verses, uh, I, I don't know how many times, and I've preached them a lot of different ways. But when God opened this up to me and began to give me revelation that I had not seen before, I began to understand differently. Not that I think what I said before was wrong. I just think this is more right. Or writer, more writer. Like I said yesterday with the guys, Rachel wasn't there to correct me, so I said it how I wanted to. Do you understand how much you matter to him? And how much patience he has? And he's willing to take as long as needed to bring you in to truth and to bring you in to surrender. In this moment, he ain't dealing with Lazarus. You understand, in this moment, he's not dealing with Lazarus. He's dealing with Martha and Mary. They didn't think that they mattered enough for Jesus to come. So Jesus didn't go. He let him die. And the reason why he let him die is because he wanted to see a deeper work in them sisters. He wanted them to surrender to the truth that they were Hephzibah to him. They were his delight. It was nothing for Jesus didn't never had to show up there. He could have sent the word like he did in another place and had a miracle. But oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's read. This is up. I'm not going to say I ain't going to be long, but I might not be long. Verse 17, it says this. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went away and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. See, she was a believer. She, she wasn't in doubt and unbelief in who Jesus was. She was a bona fide real believer in the truth of Jesus, the Christ. She had accepted his teaching. They were, they were fundamental in her heart. She knew there was going to be a resurrection in the last day. She knew her brother wasn't going to stay in the ground. She knew all of that. She just didn't believe that she mattered to him like he intends for us to understand. If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She didn't doubt the power of God to heal her brother. I even know now that you still have the ability to ask Father for whatever you want and you're going to get it. She had no lack of faith in Jesus and in the power of Jesus to do whatever he wanted. You understand that? That is not the problem or the issue that Jesus is dealing with here. He's dealing with her inability to see how much he loved her. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Believer. 
In verse 28 it says, And when she had said these things, she went away secretly and called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into town, but it was in, in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with, him, with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, Jesus is going to the tomb to weep there. See, look at the, look at the difference of the sisters. When Martha heard was Jesus, that Jesus was close, the mistress knew how to slip away without being seen. She, she knew how to, to disappear and cloak herself and go meet somebody. Mary did not have that ability. Mary didn't care because she was rebellious. And when she got up and was going to leave, the whole world knew it. And she didn't care who didn't like it. And everybody went with her. When Jesus, was in, in one of the other Gospels, Jesus is in their house. Because I think it's 11 or 12 times there's a reference of Jesus coming or leaving Bethany. And so every time that Jesus would go there, I believe he stayed in their house because this is the same Jesus that told his disciples when you go into a new town and you find a family or a, a person of peace and they receive you, you stay there till you leave. You know, that was the commandment he gave his disciples when he sent them out two by two. So I believe he practiced this. I believe that Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were the people who had received him, who were people of honor and respect to him. And every time he went there, that was his base. And there's 11 times, I think it is, where he comes in and out of, of this town. And so he had spent intimate time with these three. They weren't people that were just in a church service and saw him heal people. He sat at their table. You remember when Jesus was there and Martha got mad because she was doing all the work and, and Mary wouldn't get up? She didn't love Jesus less than Mary. She had always been taught to hide how she feels about somebody because she was always the other woman and she didn't know how to show her intimate feelings and so she kept herself busy to divert that so nobody could see Mary didn't care and it's funny when you know what them names mean you start looking back at these stories that just amazes me what Jesus does if you read his Bible just amazing Then when Mary came, verse 32, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would have not have died. Same thing her sister said. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, we're going to hear a couple more definitions because... <clears throat> them words don't properly represent what it actually what was actually said. That word groaned in the, in the Greek means to snort with anger. When he saw Mary crying, weeping, wailing out loud is what that word means. He snorted with anger. When he saw her crying and weeping and wailing, he saw the people weeping and wailing. He snorted with anger. Why? Because death had defeated his friend? Are you kidding me? He already knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Y'all know he already had that part figured out, right? 
He, he knows the end from the beginning. He's not weeping because his friend is dead in the tomb. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You know why he is aggravated and angry? Because neither one of these women who he has spent intimate time with, hours in an intimate setting at their dinner table, loving on him, letting her wash his feet and touch him in an intimate way, she still didn't believe how much he loved her. And by him not coming and her brother died, it only confirmed in her heart what she secretly thought. I just don't matter like everybody else. Hey, cut it out back there. You, with the cowboy hat on. He, he don't like that. Do you understand? There comes a point where he becomes aggravated because we won't surrender to the truth of how much he loves us. He becomes angry almost because we won't believe we're Hesaba. There are people that don't like that. They don't like the brother DJ saying it. He don't like that I'm saying it. He don't like it that other people say it. I don't care if he don't like it. You're wrong. You're wrong. I am his delight. When I didn't know him and was dead in sin, he loved me and gave himself for me. I am his delight. I can roll out as many verses as you want to. I am his delight. And when I refuse to believe that, after knowing his salvation and his mercy, it gets to a point where he gets aggravated and he snorts with anger. She wasn't weeping because her brother was dead. She's weeping because she doesn't matter to Jesus. And Jesus is almost offended that she will not believe that he loves her. She let him wash her feet. See, this matters. Father wants us to come into a full relationship with him where we are enamored with him and enamored with the way he loves us. I have seen his goodness on the mountain. I've seen his goodness in the valley. I've seen his mercy when I didn't want it. I've seen his goodness overtake me when I wasn't looking for it. How can I not surrender to the truth that I am Hephzibah, his delight? He says, Lord, or there, I'm sorry, I'm backing up, said, uh, when Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That word trouble means agitated. See, when you, you know what some of these words mean, it reads a lot differently. And he said, where have you laid him? And he raised him from the dead. Awesome story. Miracles happen. I'm not going to talk about that side of it. I want us to continue to deal with the fact that we are Hephzibah. His delight is in us. Because we have to surrender to that if we're going to change. And we're going to have to surrender to that if we're going to see our world different. Now I'm going to go to 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, 12 and 13. I'm going to go to the passion in this. I, I shared this uh, in the prayer Monday night. Man, y'all are missing out. The Spirit of God was in here so strong Monday night. It was ridiculous. I, I need y'all to make that a priority. I know that small groups are fishing to stop for the summer. Um, there, you know, 
this should be a priority for y'all to come in here and seek God together. There are some things that you can only get individually by seeking the Lord, but there are some things you only get by seeking Him corporately. And when you're a part of a family and you come in here and begin to seek the face of God together, there are things that are released in the atmosphere that people can walk in this place and before they even get to the pew, they're getting born again. Which we don't have pews, but yeah. And it matters, y'all. It matters we seek God together. It matters that we make it important to come together and seek the face of Jesus. I was reading in Thessalonians uh, couple days ago and God just really just man he just was rocking me rocking my world with this and I'm gonna read it to you and it says in, in 312 and may the Lord y'all read it with me let's just read it. you got it up there no, let's read it together and may the Lord increase your love until it overflows toward one another and for all people just as our love overflows towards you all right let's stop there this is Paul writing a letter to his church in Thessalonica. And he's, and he's basically telling them, this is what I'm praying for you right now, that the Lord would increase your love until it overflows. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I've said it here often, is that in Romans 5, 5, it says that the, the love of God is spread, in your, spread abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. When you're born again and the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you, it comes and brings a deposit of many things. And one of the things that it brings and deposits into your, your new being is the love of God. That is a supernatural love that allows you to manifest supernatural love towards people who does not deserve it, are not asking for it, and doing nothing to receive it. Just like he did towards you. See, the love that he loved you with when you were spitting in his face and running as hard as you could away from him and he still ran you down because he loved and desired you so much. That's the love that comes to dwell in your heart. And that's the love that you can turn and look at the world around you and express to them. As they cuss you, spit on your face, call you stupid, run you off, you can still manifest the love of God. Because it's been deposited in you. You actually have to, you have to manually override the love of God that was deposited in you to not love people. You have to, you have to manually make it, you have to make a decision not to surrender to the love that's in you and not love people. And Paul right here, he understands the war of the flesh and the spirit. He, he, and he understands that, 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 that we're always engaged in that. But he also is convinced of what the answer is for the world. It's Jesus, and it's the love of God. Because he says, may the Lord increase your love until it overflows toward one another, in here, and for all people out there. The ones your family with in here, in the kingdom of God, and to everybody who's outside of these doors. There needs to be an overflowing of the banks of our heart that the water splashes onto everybody around us. It needs to splash onto our brothers and sisters sitting next to us. 
There needs to be an overflow of the love of God that floods the streets everywhere we go. Look what it says in 13. It says, Then your hearts will be strengthened in holiness so that you may be flawless and pure before the face of our God and the Father at the appearing of our Lord Jesus with all his holy ones. Amen. Then your hearts will be strengthened in holiness. Do you know what happens when the love of God overflows you? You become strengthened in holiness in your heart. What if the way to living a righteous life and, and, and walking in the holiness that you desire is not through fasting more, it's not by more discipline in your life, it's actually to surrender to the love of God. And by surrendering to the love of God, it overflows in you and it strengthens your heart for holiness. What if the reason why you can't get free of all these besetting sins and all these things that you keep tripping up over and, and you can't get away from, not is because you don't have enough discipline in your life and you don't love God enough, it's that you won't come close enough to Him to let Him overflow your banks again. And you're trying to do everything in your own strength instead of through the power of His love dwelling in you. What if the reason why you can't quit watching pornography, you can't quit gossiping, you can't quit lying, you can't quit saying things you shouldn't? Not just because you don't love God, it's because you won't let God love you. See, Paul says a lot with a few words. He is not like me. But what if that's the truth? Huh? What if the constant struggle of sin that you have in your life it's because you don't believe your Hephzibah and you won't come close enough to him to let him pour his love out in you in a new way. What if that's the problem? See, I, this is right. I won't quit talking about this. This has brought freedom in my life that I had never experienced before. This has set me free from more sin than any other thing I've experienced since I've been born again. By actually surrendering to how much he loves me. And God knows that that's the answer. That's the deliverance. That's the way to freedom. He knows. That's why he snorted with anger. Because he wanted them women to be totally surrendered to him. So they could be strengthened in their hearts for holiness. But not just that. So they could begin to affect the world around them. The Bible says that we will be known by what? What political candidate we back? It's foolishness. It's, it's a damnable lie. The Bible says we will be known by our love. It doesn't say we'll even be known by healing the sick. John said they will know you by your love. Not your carnal or your humanistic love but by the supernatural love of God that overflows you to the people around you and to the people that you don't even have relationship with and you just bump up against. See, there's a way to change our world. There's a way to bring an effect on the, on the, on the, on the, on the culture and on the country, on the schools and towns and jobs that we're in, and it is, it is going to be in the way that he decides. 
And what if the love of God begins to overflow us and we get free from sin and people actually begin to see us different and we actually manifest a love to people everywhere we go that they begin to say, that person ain't human. That person is not normal. What if they begin to say that? Not because you act like a clown, but because you have the ability to love where nobody else around them does. What is that? What if that is the answer? And I absolutely believe it is. I want to be strengthened in my heart for holiness. I want to be flawless and pure before the face of our God. I want to be flawless and pure before the face of our God. Blessed are the pure in heart for what? They shall see God. I don't want to just see God when I get to heaven. I want to see him right now. If I have to stay here, then I want to have an encounter with him right now. I want to be able to gaze into his eyes right now. I want it to be on earth as it is in heaven. And what are they doing in heaven right now? Holy, holy, holy. Why do you think the presence of God floods the house when we actually worship and begin to tell him who he is? Because that's how it is in heaven. And the presence of God is in heaven. And when you begin to do what they're doing there, he comes here. He goes where he will be worshipped. He goes where he is loved. But you know what he'll also do? He will not show up just to deal with this doubt in your heart of who you are to him. And he'll bring you to the point and he'll make you deal with the issues. Some of y'all are not getting answers in your life because you won't surrender to his love. And out of his desire to see you whole and healed and perfect, he's holding the answer back. And he's letting you suffer. You realize he will work like that in your life. Not out of meanness, but out of such desire for you. He does not want you sick and dysfunctional. He doesn't want you walking with a broke heart thinking you're not as good as the person next to you and he will never pay as much attention to you as he does to her or him. He's snorting with anger at some of y'all because you've been coming in here and you've been hearing this and you've been hearing this and you are just bowing your stinking neck up and won't surrender to the love of God. And he's just standing there snorting. Not because he hates you, but he's frustrated that if God is frustrated, that you just won't let him love you. All he wants to do is wrap your, his arms around you. But he can't do that if you're holding him at arm's length. We've got to stop that. It's time to stop. I want us all to surrender to this. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I know I've said this here probably before, but I'll say it again. I remember one night <coughs> I was um, in Mexico, and, and I, I honestly don't remember what it was, but I, I, I done did something I swore I was never going to do again. You know, I just messed up, and, and I was so upset. It was about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting in my chair. Everybody else is asleep, and I'm just whining. I'm crying. I mean, I'm, I'm crying, physically crying, just 
I'm sorry, I just suck, I'm just horrible, I'm quitting, I'm going back, I'm just going to go get a job, I can't, I suck, I shouldn't do this. I, mean, I know y'all don't say that, but that's how I was telling God, I, that's how I felt. I'm very honest sometimes, most of the times. And, and, and he let me go on for a while, and he just interrupted me, and I heard him speak, and he said, but you're beautiful. I said, man, I'm horrible. I said, I was never going to do this again, and here I am again. But you're so lovely. I said, but you don't understand. I'm like the trash of the, I mean, I was just, and he's just like, but I can't take my eyes off of you. And this went on, this, this, this discourse, this dialogue went on. And I mean, I had excuse after excuse on why I could not be that person in his eyes because of, of the stupid things I kept doing. And he just kept telling me, man, I, I'm burning for you. I desire you. And it got to the point after so many back and forth that I was embarrassed to tell him why he couldn't love me no more. Because that's what I was doing. I was telling him why he couldn't love me the way he was trying to tell me that he could love me. But it's because you can't love me because of this. You can't love me like that because I, I am continually in this mistake. And he was trying to make me understand, you don't got a clue. But you know what happened to me when I began to surrender to that? Because in that time, I was sat down in the Song of Solomon's and I was reading it every day, the whole book every day. And that rhetoric just began to come on me and you read about the Shulamite bride and, and all of a sudden I was just being convinced more and more that this is truth. This is, this is what he desires with me. This is the relationship he intends. And, and, but, and I was saturating myself with this truth because God was dealing with me in this in my heart. But I, I could not really grab a hold of it as a reality until I found myself in that situation in Mexico that night. And by him speaking to me and just telling me in the midst of I, you know, being wrong, but him still telling me, I love you. And what that did was erase the doubt in my heart that I couldn't draw back close to him until I went enough days without messing up again. It made me understand that there's never a moment I can't go crawl up in his arms. And when you can crawl up in his arms, his spirit possesses you. His love begins to be deposited in you again. And all of a sudden, strength comes on your heart for holiness. And I quit doing things that for 20 years or 19 years I had tried to quit doing and never got completely free of. And all of a sudden, I wasn't trying not to do them no more. I just never wanted to anymore. And I totally walked away from besetting sins, not because I fasted more or prayed more. It's because I couldn't get over the fact that he loves me even when I'm being stupid. And that allowed me to come closer to him than I'd ever been before. And I've always walked close to him, but not as close as I needed to be. And when we surrender to this, we begin to draw near. We get closer. And then you really find out how much he loves you. Then you get a little bit closer. And I'm telling you, all of a sudden, strength starts coming on your heart for holiness. And all those lesser lights in the world just begin to fade away. And you don't even, you're not even attracted to them anymore. They just go away because you're blinded by the radiant glow of his love that is being manifested to you. And they're, they're just lesser lights now. 
And you don't even pay attention no more. And that's what he wants to do in us. He wants us to be strengthened in holiness. Father, do your work in our hearts. Do your work in our hearts. Do your work in our hearts, Father. Convince us that we are your desire. Convince us that we're, we're your favorites. Convince us, Father, that you, you see us as lovely. You see us as perfect. You see us as beautiful. That you see us. That you see us. The same way you see everybody. With love. Burning desire. And let it begin to erase every dart. Every dart of hell, every lie of hell that's penetrated our hearts. Let it begin to erase it. Let the truth of your love for us overflow us. Let it begin to strengthen us in, in holiness in our hearts. Let it begin to give us the ability to affect everybody around us, inside of the family and outside of the family. Let us be so full of the love of God that everywhere we go, we change the atmosphere and the climate. And we bring the power of God to bear on the powers of hell by the supernatural love of a father that knows no end. Let that be what happens in us. I want to surrender to how much you love me. I want to come closer than I've ever been before. But i got to believe you're going to let me before I can even attempt to try. Father, thank you that we're your favorites. Thank you that I'm your favorite. Thank you that you burn for me. You are wonderful, Jesus. You're wonderful. I, I want to do a, do something today a little bit different. Um, are there people that are sick? If, you, if you're sick and you want God to touch you in your body, raise your hands. If you want prayer, I want you to come up here. I, I want uh, Brother Rick. I want Brother Brett, Michelle. I want their friends of mine of absolute confidence. And they walk in the power of God. I want them to pray for y'all. So, y'all, if you want God to touch you today, I want you to come up here and let these people pray for you. God is with them. The gift of healing is on their life. Y'all just begin to pray for folks, man. Y'all just grab hold of who you want. If you need healing in your body, come and let them pray for you. Be encouraged. Have faith. I need y'all to understand as a family how where we're standing right now. Most of y'all don't understand what's going on in this house. And a lot of y'all don't understand that we're on the doorstep of glory. You understand that? We're standing on the threshold of glory. The presence of God is, is swirling among us. Because we're beginning to worship him and beginning to prefer that. We need to begin to recognize what is actually happening in our midst so we can begin to respond properly more than we have before. He is allowing us to enjoy his presence when we come in here. He's allowing us to feel his love. He's allowing us to feel the smile of his face. He's allowing it to rain down on us like rays of sunshine. And we understand this is precious. And it requires a, a bigger response on our part. 
We need to allow the Holy Ghost to stir hunger up in our hearts. And we need to do something that we haven't done before. We need to begin to seek Him in new ways. We need to begin to open ourselves up to Him more. And do something out of the normal. To express our gratitude for what He's doing. <coughs> we need to respond in a greater way. There's churches all over this country that have never felt what we felt in worship here. You understand that? There's churches all over this city that are not feeling what we felt in here this morning. And it's not that we're better in doing it right, but it's a gift from God. It's a gift. And we need to begin to respond to that gift. We need to be gracious and, and full of gratitude. Man, I'm just, I'm thankful for all of y'all. Me and Rachel are so blessed to be a part of y'all. Be a part of Brother Peter and Miss Amanda and their family. And David White and Miss Brenda. And Jay and Miss D. It's, a, it's an honor, John and Becky and Selma. And it's so exciting to walk with people who want to find Jesus. Who want to see him. And all it does is it makes me want to dig in deeper. It wants me, I want to enjoy Jesus with y'all. I want to enjoy Jesus with y'all. Do you understand when, when we were singing that song, Brother Rick read me Isaiah 12 this morning at my mom and dad's house. And in Isaiah 12 in the Passion, it says, ask God for more. God commands us to ask him for more. Do you understand? That's pretty amazing. Why is he ask, telling us to ask him for more? Because he wants to give us more. He wants to give us more of himself, more of his love, more of his blessing, more of his presence. He actually wants to overflow your banks until you can't hold it. It's got to run off to everybody else around you. That is the desire of Father, to give you more. And he's telling you, ask me for more. Come on, believe I want to give you something you don't got. Believe that I've got an unending supply of goodness for you and your family. Come on, y'all. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Thank you for listening to Company of Believers podcast. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to sow into this ministry, please go to www.companyofbelievers.com and select Give. Thank you for listening.